0: Blog TALK RADIO
1: Good morning everyone, this is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk radio show. My guest for this morning is Dr. Winfrey Sadoff. He is a family physician specializing in mental health and is currently working in Brisbane, Australia. Dr. Winfrey is also the author of three books that lay foundations for better relationships, communities, and ultimately a better world. In his early 20s, Dr. Winfrey faced a life-threatening personal crisis that sent him into self-imposed isolation. Over a 12-month internal quest, he discovered answers to his plight and uncovered a sense of genuine self. In his first book, A Balance of Self, A New Approach to Self-Understanding, Lasting Happiness and Self-Truth, written in 2011, documented this journey. Later in 2016, he wrote The Fall and Rise of Women how women can change the world Dr. Winfrey's books convey his passion for history tribal society ethnography psychology and self-understanding he intends to prevent us from making the same mistakes over and over again this can be done by looking back in history and reflect we what we can avoid from happening over and over again. Dr. Winfrey and I will be having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey, passion for helping others to discover their true potential, and his latest book, The Friendship Key. The book reveals how friendship can empower us to lasting peace, united communities, stronger relationships, equality, and a better job. Good morning Dr. Winfrey. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning, sir? I'm
2: great. Great to be on the show. Thanks for having me.
1: Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. The Friendship Key is a very compelling and thought-provoking read. I really love the key point summary at the end of each chapter. That's a wonderful job and congratulations on this release.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Wonderful let us start by getting to know you a little bit better please give us a quick walk through your life from childhood to the present moment
2: okay well uh, in short um, <laughs> I'm basically the son of, uh, I'm son of immigrants so my parents uh, migrated from Germany to Australia when I was about two years old and mm-hmm. it's one of those stories where they were quite poor and they, as my father often reminds me they had less than a few hundred dollars to their name when they arrived And then they built themselves a life here and mainly in a a large country town, which is a place called Albury. So I spent a lot of time growing up in farms and, man, I can remember even chasing cows and sheep when I was about five or six years old.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So I spent
2: a lot of time on the land and then eventually went to the local schools. They were public schools. Had a few problems fitting in because when you come from Germany and then you end up in an Australian country that was kind of fighting Germany there for a while, Um, Mm -hmm. I ended up um, having a few problems. So when I was five, I remember being called a Nazi and going home and wondering, what's a Nazi? (laughs) I had no idea what this was all about. Um, And then, yes, that was a bit bit of a difficulty. Continued to struggle on and off with friends and then had a bit of a problem with a bit of ostracizing when I reached high school. That didn't go so great. Um, But it kind of led me to spending more time in the library, more time studying. So I eventually became a doctor thinking, yeah, maybe that would be a good way to make people would like me a bit more, um, and maybe I could make a difference. And, um, yeah, then I went through that personal crisis, which you mentioned, and then started to go back to general practice, try to help people, and eventually started writing the books. Very,
1: interesting. very interesting. Very What was the most critical moment in your life as a teenager? A
2: teenager. Yeah, look, I, I have to say it was the day I was ostracized by my mates. I can't really call them mates now, can I? Um, so yeah, look, I I was it was a, it was an interesting day because we were all playing cricket and I'd known these guys since probably primary school and we got pretty competitive when we were in high school. And um, one day this other group started taunting us while we were playing cricket, as we did during our lunch break. And as I was starting to have a bit of a tussle with one of the guys, I noticed my mates were actually egging on the other guy. So that didn't feel very good. So then I said, okay, enough of that. I just stopped. And then when I stopped, I found my friends were the ones who were trying to chase me and trying to bash me up. And so I ended up uh, racing up the library and then finally realized, no, hold on a second. I didn't have any friends here at all. These weren't friends at all. And that was a horrible mm-hmm. experience. But it was very profound at, my, in, at that time in my life. Very,
1: uh, it's an uh, it's amazing experience, though, because it's, I'm sure it's very shocking to you. And did this childhood experiences contribute to your adult life?
2: Oh, completely they do. Yes. Um, as you can tell, I mean, if, if I hadn't been ostracized, um, I wouldn't have spent the extra time in the library. I, my marks wouldn't have gone up. I mean, I did get some friends later on because they were interested in model mm-hmm. planes. So because they were older than me, it was good because I didn't get bashed up. So that was always nice. Um, and then I, because I was spending more time in the library and had an interest in science, I found my marks improved, and then I was eventually asked, okay, what do you want to do when you get, go to university? I thought, okay, I don't know, really. Um, I thought about <laughs> physics, but then people said you can't make money out of physics.
1: And <laughs> the next thing
2: you know, I'm a doctor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> very, very interesting. Who were the people yeah. that influenced you the most in your, thir- in your 20s, 30s, and how did they impact your life?
2: Okay, well, this might sound a little bit corny, but it was actually my Mm ex-girlfriend. Yes. So I didn't have any real mentors or anyone who was helping me because um, I was pretty isolated most of the time, and I was studying a lot as well. But when I started getting some free time, and after I went through that internal journey, which briefly mentioned, Mm -hmm. I had some girlfriends for a while. And the good experience about that was I learned that basically I was pretty much full of myself. So I had a bit of an, uh, an epiphany there had to realize Mm -hmm. I didn't know as much as I thought I did, but I didn't understand as much as I thought I did, and I had a lot to work out about myself, my past, and what was going on. I had to get a lot of acceptance for who I was and what was happening in the world. So it was actually a very big push for me to sort of understand who I am, and it became the foundation as to why I wrote the books. Mm
0: -hmm. So,
2: yeah, I needed to work on more of who I am, and of course as you learn more about yourself, you tend to learn a lot more about other people as well. And so uh, I had patients eventually asking me, Um, for ways out of getting out of depression because they tried other things, including some counseling patients, patients who were counseling other people themselves, and they weren't getting anywhere, and then I started sharing the ideas. They found them very useful, and then we started developing them into into books so I could help people get overcome depression and anxiety and other mental problems.
1: Very, very interesting. When you were going through the entire process, process. were you feeling feeling that you were were in a defensive mode?
2: Yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, it's the interesting thing about the journey that I took on the inside was it always gave mm-hmm. me a way to kind of see the world a bit detached in a way that it felt more honest and peaceful. So it was almost like having a retreat where you could go to to feel somewhere honest and truthful. But was also, I also had an interesting connection with land because I grew up on the farm area. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time connecting with the land on an emotional level. And it really helped to settle me down and give me a sense of who I was. So I found that really helpful. So even though I had a lot of other, I was being a bit defensive, but also just being a little bit careful with who I shared my information with because I knew um, some people aren't going to like what I had to say. So I was a bit cautious about what I was sharing. Um, And also the stuff I was sharing doesn't exactly meet with regular medical um, understandings or theories at the time having said mm-hmm. that after a while i when i did start researching it i found actually my ideas weren't that different to some of the others who were actually teaching ways of helping people out of depression as well so that was a bit useful to learn yeah but it was an interesting journey interesting journey
1: so you on this quest of discovering yourself you ended up getting through the process of a well, pretty much a spiritual grounding, so to speak, because you got back into nature that helped you to get grounded.
2: Completely, in the metaphorical and in the literal sense. Mm-hmm. Completely, yes. Yes, I very like trees. Let's put it that way. <laughs>
1: That's wonderful, though. I think, you know, this is the kind of thing that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people, uh, I live in a metropolitan area here in Dallas, Texas, and I'm sure in big cities in Brisbane, as well as Sydney and Adelaide and all the big cities in Australia. If you are born and raised, somehow, if you have not gone out to the countryside, you really have deprived yourself the true connection with nature.
2: Oh, yes very much so and it's an amazing connection particularly if you develop a an emotional connection to it so you sort of get this feeling of extending yourself into it and understanding it in a different way and look I'll be honest the only the closest i found to that was reading about how indigenous cultures lived with nature mm-hmm. as well so it's it's very interesting the connection they had with nature as well and it's, yeah it's it's very difficult to explain unless you actually go through it yeah
1: mhm very very interesting very so, what, so led what led you to the power of friendship?
2: Yeah, well, actually, it was a bit of a two-step process, really. Two little epiphanies, really. Um, the first one was understanding depression in terms of basic human desires. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, that was um, I was writing another book at the time when I came across that, and I was just imagining a science fiction book where a, a society actually knew themselves pretty well, and over the town hall or the hall where community hall where they all met because it was a very social community were three words self family and community all linked together in a nice triangle and that then started me thinking that maybe we could look a bit more at the desire component of this because when i did my internal quest one of the things i looked at was our fears and how they motivate us but also desires as well and so i found that little model there of self-family community to be a great summary of basic human desires and by basic human desires, I mean these are the desires that drive us, that we all have as human beings, to help survive in nature. So desires for hunger, thirst, need for shelter, company to have families, those kinds of things. And the big surprise for me was I learned that if we actually satisfy these and we feel like we're doing, getting, getting them met in some way, then we actually tend to feel pretty good, even if we just imagine we will. Okay, mm-hmm. Even if we just dream somehow in the future these needs will be met. We can actually feel really good, and it actually gives us hope. It gives us drive and purpose and all that kind of things and meaning. But if we don't satisfy them, or we see we won't, then we can actually feel really, really bad. And I actually now use that as a foundation for helping to people get out of depression, and it tends mm-hmm. to work pretty well. Um, and then I also discovered while I was looking that, going back through history, I tried to understand how did this all go crazy? I mean, we had tribal societies. That particularly mm-hmm. were revering women So I wanted to know what happened there Because women aren't exactly treated very well these days
0: mm-hmm. And
2: eventually I realised um, friendship had fallen Our friendship had actually become was Had gone from being in tribal societies To being what kept us strong Kept us together Made us feel safe and secure To now living in societies where we're competitors We don't value friendship very much at all So I wondered what had happened I mean, What crazy stuff had gone on and then i realized hold on a second the thing that changed was farming now i don't like bagging farming because i come from farming and i think farming's good but mm-hmm, farming mm-hmm. sort of brought up a couple of new desires few desires we didn't have before like desires for wealth we had desires we didn't have desires for wealth before then because we didn't need to hoard everything we didn't have to worry about the seasons but when you're a farmer you need to have extra and that desire for wealth grows and then we, I, I realized we also develop associated desires for status and power so we can keep the wealth that we have. And the mm-hmm. next thing I learned was, hold on a second, this has been driving our societies now for thousands and thousands of years. And if you then extrapolate what this does, what it does is it makes us competitors to the extent that we can climb over each other to have more and more and more. And it's an insatiable lust. It's something we just never can get enough of. Next thing you know, we have societies where a few people own a lot, and the majority own almost very little, and you're not doing so well if you're down the bottom. Right. So, man, I then learnt... Yeah. So (laughs) I learnt that this is a horrible scenario. This has been going on over and over and over again in every civilization. and then they'd either have revolutions or those civilizations would collapse or they'd do damage to themselves. All... Is a way of the rich people competing and trying to have more and more and more, and they can never get enough. And we end up doing the same things. And in the process of doing that, what do we do to friendship? Well, we drop it.
0: We, mm-hmm.
2: who, when you're after wealth and power, you don't need friends. You need allies. So our mm-hmm. friendships then started to decline. So, mm-hmm. And then I started seeing it throughout history and then realizing, hold on a second, we're living that now. This is happening as well right now. We're doing, living the same errors, the same mistakes, that almost every civilization has done before. And if we don't do something about it, well, our future may not look so bright.
1: <laughs> very, very interesting. That's very, very true. That's How, did How did this self-awareness affect, affect awareness your life going your forward, personally?
2: forward personally? Personally? Yeah, look, it gave me a lot of clarity, purpose, and direction, really. That's mainly what I was doing. But it also gave me a sense of acceptance. I could accept and understand myself more, which allowed me to accept and understand others more. So really what it helped me to do is become more of a student of my own heart. Mm -hmm. You know how when you can every now and then you sit down and you get to work out, okay, well, what did I feel last time and why did I feel that? Like why did I muck up with a relationship or why did I do something that was a bit silly? And you sit down and you start thinking about it and you listen to your heart about it. And after a while, the heart kind of gives you an answer and says, yeah, I know why. And it tells you, okay, well, you did it for this reason or you've had this experience in your past. So I've found it a great way of helping me to explore myself and then help explore others. So I've found that self-awareness to be quite an important tool for me and giving me a sense of direction as to try and help others to help them to see this as well and explore all these ideas so they can live happier lives as well. That's
1: wonderful. That's wonderful. In essence, In it's, essence about us, it's about not us, about them. Them. not about and them. Any yes. it, it takes two, two to get two things done. To get so things done you really can't fix the you other really person, but you can sure as heck fix you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Which is, which I think takes a bit of burden off us. Mm-hmm. If we don't have mm-hmm. to worry about changing everyone else, and we only work on changing ourselves, there's a lot less work to do. Um, mm-hmm. And it means we can get ourselves better. And by being better ourselves, we become the example for others, and then that can then spread. And that's kind of the foundation behind the book. The more mm-hmm. we... Um, help others to have a sense of friendship, we meet the friendship needs in others, um, the more they can meet them in us, and the more they'll then start meeting them in others as well. So that's why I believe in you know, trying to change yourself. Be the person you want others to be, as a lot of people will say.
1: So true. So true. This is interesting, Dr. Wilfred. Uh, to some, to some friendship, friendship is sort of is very loose, very loose rela- uh, connection. Rela- The idea is to build relationships because relationships are stronger. So what is the difference between friendship and relationship?
2: Okay, well, it kind of depends. I mean, if we're talking about an interpersonal relationship, I have a little bit of a saying on that that I've developed, Mm -hmm. and that is, to me, it comes down to love, love. And to me, friendship is the garden bed from which love grows. Mm-hmm. Okay. if we don't have friendship and we don't have the basic core of a good friendship then we're not going to have much love happening um, so the more we can meet these desires which I talk about of, of friendship and I, as we'll talk about later I have ten of them the more we have this mm-hmm. wonderful environment where we start to love each other and then we can start developing closer relationships with each other um, ones where we feel safe, secure we know the other person's got our back we know, have people who can support us listen to us Um, Once again, you know, feel like we've got a sense of community and people around us who really care. And I mean, how many of us at the moment really can say we've got that? And we live in such divided societies these days. It's so hard. Yeah. So that, to me, is the core of what that's about.
1: What's interesting, though, you're right, because we can have relationships with a lot of people, people. but then when we ask people, well, how many friends do you have that really you can count count on? And it's usually a handful.
2: Yes. That's exactly right.
1: That's an interesting <laughs>
2: point. There's a, there's an interesting guy who's done some some numbers on this. Yeah. Um and he yeah, yeah and um he was he was studying primates and he mm-hmm. realized that the size of the brain relates to how many friends we have and he came up with a number his name was Dunbar and it's called Dunbar's number and he says that with the, the maximum size, well, the optimal size we can be, which is about 150 people, but he breaks mm-hmm. the numbers down into how many friends you can have behind that. and He says most of us can probably have about five really close friends. And in a way, he's kind of right, because it's really hard to meet all these needs for everybody really, really well. So mm-hmm. the close ones, we really have to put the extra time and effort in. Um, but we can have friendships and be friendly with just about anybody. Right. So it's just a matter of understanding what, how to do that.
1: So true. So true. So why did you decide to write the friendship key? Uh,
2: Yeah, well, look, once I realized uh, the damage that had been done and uh, actually once I even saw how I could use friendship to help others get out of depression and other problems and loneliness in their own lives, I thought, hey, there's something I can share. Maybe I could um, help others to understand that as well. Because for me, I don't think we really understand friendship very much anymore. We have this really weird idea about it, a bit like you're um, alluding to earlier, that um, maybe friendship is just some sort of vague thing, um, But and it's really not that important. I mean, I was taught by even my, my father that friendship wasn't that important. Study and work and having a successful career, they're all the things that are important. And we really haven't given friendship a really good rap. So I realized, hold on a second, friendship can actually help do a lot more than... Even I thought it could do. I think it's Mm -hmm. far more critical and far more important than I even imagined it was. And I thought, yes, I think we can help solve our own personal problems, a lot of them fix them, but also help other people as well and maybe even help change the world a bit if enough of us actually recognize that friendship can be so important.
1: Very, very interesting. Just give us a synopsis of the book.
2: Yeah, so look, I break the book into two main parts. The first one is just basically say that these are the problems. How did friendship fall, how important it is, and why we need to focus on it more and the damage that it has done. How it's led to creation of empires and massive inequality and massive poverty and and poor relationships, families breaking down, hatred, prejudice, slavery, all those kinds of things. And then the second part, I try and focus on specific things that we can do to make parts of our own life better, such as strengthen our relationships, how to bring ourselves closer together, particularly if you're struggling and your relationship isn't doing very well how we can bring communities together again, because, I mean, how many people even know their neighbours these days? Right. And then also how we can improve business, how we can improve our job prospects so we can get a better job, how we can create businesses that thrive and are internationally competitive, and even how we can improve our government so we can take them back, because democracy (laughs) is, is probably the best form of government that meets a friendship needs. Um, so, it, the aim is to try and work on basic principles that we can use, that we can apply to all of these areas of our life to help us make those positive changes.
1: So true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, and Google Play. I'm Johnny Tant, your host, and my guest for this morning is Dr. Winfrey Setoff. He is a family physician specializing in mental health and is currently working in Brisbane, Australia. Dr. Winfrey is also the author of three books that lay foundations for better relationships, communities, and ultimately a better world. Dr. Winfrey and I are having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey, passion for helping others to discover their true potential, and his latest book, The Friendship Key. The book reveals how Friendship Can Empower Us to Lasting Peace, United com- Communities, Stronger Relationships, Equality, and a Better Job. Dr. Winfrey, what are the 10 Desires of Friendship?
2: Right, yes. Well, look, I think the best way probably to describe them is go through a couple little incidents that some of us might have come across. Mm-hmm. For instance, imagine we go to dinner with somebody and they put their phone on the table beside us. Okay, and we're having a bit of a conversation, but they're not really listening to us. They don't really pay mm-hmm. much attention. They're not giving eye contact. And then the phone goes off. Next thing you know, they pick up the phone, and they're talking nicely and happily to the person on the other end of the phone, but they're ignoring us while we're munching away and still having dinner. Um, and then this happens again. They right. we start talking, they don't listen, and this happens again, and they, and they get a phone call. Oh, and the phone's really important, and they start chatting happily away. And so in an experience like that, I wonder, okay... Did that experience make us feel valued? Did that person make us feel important when they were doing those things? Well, not really. I mean, they're basically saying that the person on the other end of the phone line is more important than we are. So Mm -hmm. that's not a very good thing. Did they make us feel noticed? In other words, were they really noticing and paying attention to us? Well, not really. I mean, they were more interested in either their meal or waiting for the phone call. So that wasn't a very good thing. And then did they make us feel heard? Were they really listening to us? Did they try and give us some indication that they were empathizing with us? Well, no, they didn't do that either. Okay, and that was, that's one of the important needs as well. So then did they make us feel respected? Well, no, not really. I mean, they were treating other people on the phone as being more important than us, and we were sort of put on the sidelines. Um, and the, so there, these are some of the basic needs that I describe or desires. So the 10 that I list, are, we all want to feel valued. We want to feel noticed. We don't like being ignored. We want to be appreciated for who we are. Nobody likes to be treated like a piece of the furniture. I mean, it's a bit mm-hmm. like coming home and thinking, hi, dear, you're here again. Great. All right. <laughs> yep, you can go to your office. Bye. Um, it's, we, we all want to feel appreciated for what we do. We like to feel what we're important in what we do. We want to have, have other people listen to our story that is so important for us, but we don't just tend to do that very much anymore. And number five I list as sameness. Sameness for me is, look, we tend to bond people who are similar to us. Uh, yeah. Similar ideals, yeah. similar morals, those kinds of things. Um, so if we want to create a friendship, we just focus on similarities. We focus on the things we have in common, even if it's the things that we both hate together, like political parties if we want to go down that direction. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Then we all like to be validated and we like to feel respected. As we mentioned before, we all want to be cared for particularly if we're ill, we want to be supported in our endeavours. And, of course, being together is part of feeling protected. So that's the last one. Uh, In the end, we come together as groups because we want to know the other person's got our back. So that's a summary of the basic desires. And in the book, I sort of explain what they are, how to meet them in different life circumstances, but also within each of those areas, such as at work, um, as managers, with staff, And a couple of chapters are devoted specifically to relationships, how we can use those to help enhance our relationships so we have more fulfilling and stable relationships. Wonderful.
1: Wonderful. I have to tell you, your book is very well informed within the pages. pages And what it does is that it reflects the fact that you have this this vast knowledge knowledge about situations in U.S. and other countries throughout the world. So my question, I, so guess, my question be, I guess, would be, you are such a learned person, or did you get zapped with, get certain, zap things with certain things that just became enlightened?
2: enlightened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Massive inspiration. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, reminds me of the Matrix movie. You know how you could download all right. the information? <laughs> That'd be lovely. Um, no, not quite. <laughs> not quite. Now look, look, to be honest with you, a large, I didn't know a lot about this stuff, and I really am not a big reader until I actually mm-hmm. started developing an understanding of the fundamentals of what was going on. And then I basically just followed the breadcrumbs, okay, mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. at the wealth power, status and how that has affected different societies. And then I was able to follow it from the first civilizations and how they developed and how they treated women poorly, because that's been a common theme. And then I followed them through to how they created empires and then how the rich people in the empires would fight against each other. It wasn't right. the poor people that were doing it, right. it was just the rich people. And then, the, of course, the rich people were using the poor people to fight for them. Right. Then I saw that from then how the British had developed, let a huge company develop, the biggest company of its time in the 17, 16, 17th and 1800s called the British East India Company, how that company right. actually took over almost a whole country, which just boggles my mind still, how it had more troops than many countries had. In the 1800s, it had over 270,000 troops, which still boggles my mind. And then how that then formed the foundation of the great British Empire that lasted for quite some time. And of Mm -hmm. course, following on from that empire, we have other empires that have formed along the way. And now we've got the empires that we have today, including the United States, China, Russia, and so on and so forth, And we still have these rich people who are competing with each other Mm
0: -hmm, and mm -hmm. still
2: trying to get what everybody else has and trying to have more and more and more at everyone else's expense. And so, yeah, learning along the way how that all worked, learning about how tribes were a a contrast to that because tribes didn't have those problems. They were more community-orientated. Yes, they went to war, and some of them went to war more than others, but on a whole, a lot of them actually found really good ways of living peaceful lives, like the Aboriginal Australians, for instance. They hardly had any wars at all, so they did quite well for 60 to 70,000 years. So it's quite a contrast to what we did. So, yeah, just by being interested in learning how our desires have impacted the world, I was able to learn a lot about it. And, of course, it helped that when I grew up, um, I watched a lot of TV shows from the U.S. So I kind of feel like he's a citizen, really. I mean, you know, watching the Flintstones, the Jetsons, the right. Little right. all those kind of things. Yeah, so
1: yeah.
2: pretty close attachment, I'm afraid. Yeah. What's
1: interesting, though, curiosity had led you to who you are today because there's a lot of things that we can talk about. You know, there's watching tea, a show and a that's show. really watching and the really show, be because be you are getting a lot of wonderful lot of information, rather, information than rather than just being entertained.
2: Yes, very much so, yes. And um, looking a little bit beyond what we normally see, yes, trying to understand the people, the writing, the characters, um, the underlying drives, the desires, and seeing how, how it all fits. Um, and actually, I've, I've used some of that experience to write a little sci-fi book recently when I, based on mm-hmm. the friendship desires, so, yeah, it gives you an interesting way of trying to understand yourself and people. Um, and so, yeah, TV shows are very interesting. Um, still watch them occasionally, Bugs Bunny, all those kinds of things, but, yeah, <laughs> you see them differently now when you're older. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Where are we globally are we concerning globally the 10 desires of friendship desires from, friendship an, individual from an individual perspective?
2: Okay, well, if I was to summarize it, I'd say we're down the toilet. <laughs> which doesn't sound very nice. um, look, if we've only got to look around the world right now and ask which mm-hmm. of the desires are driving most of the people in the countries. Is it to acquire more wealth, status and power or is it so that we can actually be friends with each other and responsible? Because we can have enormous prosperity if we were treating each other with respect and treating each other with care and kindness. But we're not doing mm-hmm. that. So to me, when... The wealth power and status desires take over the world they pretty much always suppress friendship and a simple reason for that is and that is if you're trying to get to the top and you want more wealth and you want more power you don't want friends because the, with, when you're friends with someone you share and if you're trying to get to the top you can't afford to share so mm-hmm. as soon as we have strong desires for wealth status and power or just even wealth and power friendship just goes out the toilet. So I look at all the world at the moment, and I see how divided it is, and I see what, how the wealth own most of the wealth of the world at the moment, and it's going up, particularly since the global financial crisis. Uh, right. And how the poor are still doing so terribly. Uh, and I know you've got a big problem there in the United States with that still. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, particularly with healthcare and things. And I'm thinking, if friendship mm-hmm. was important, would would healthcare be universal? Absolutely, it would be. Okay. Would um, there be more jobs? Well, there would be because the rich people wouldn't pay themselves such huge salaries at everyone else's expense. And if there was more money um, given to the workers, that would be more money to spend, which means you can have more jobs. So you can then have a more prosperous society with more stable jobs and, and more people who are happy. So I look around the world and see this division of wealth and, and all the conflict that's going on, and I think, yeah, look, if there was one thing I'd have to diagnose it, being a doctor i like to diagnose things, it would have to be that we're suffering a friendship deficiency right now, a bit like a vitamin C deficiency. <laughs> um, and unless we correct that deficiency, uh, it's going to make us very, very sick, and we're already sick. just a matter of how much more sick do we want to get and how much longer is it going to take us before we actually realize this is the problem and that we can actually fix it pretty simply. And just because it's a simple solution, of course, doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad one. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's real disheartening to see that, yeah, the world has changed in such horrible ways for such simple reasons that we still have only barely even touched and started to recognize.
1: Very, very interesting perspective. How about from a political standpoint of view?
2: Yeah, politics is interesting, isn't it? We can talk about that all day. (laughs) Um, Yeah, look, politics is, is fascinating for me because to me the fundamentals come down to what is the best form of government that meets our friendship needs. And the classic one that comes out here is democracy. But the more democratic, the better. Why? Because in a democracy, we feel heard. We're also respected. We're not treated like we're inferior. So there's no aristocracy or authoritarianism who's going to, you know, press us down and push us down into some sort of lower place. No one to treat us like slaves. So to dem- democracy, to me, is the ultimate way of meeting our friendship needs. Um, but the problem with democracy is democracy is weak. When we are under threat, when our, maybe we're not making enough money or our standard of living is going down or we feel afraid maybe because our country's under attack or whatever it might be, we have this simple response that we do, even when we, when we were tribal, and that is we give up our need to be valued and heard so other people can lead us, because that's what we did when we were tribal. We would let the people who were good at fighting um, mm-hmm. guide us and show us what to do, because then we could fight with one mind, and then we'd be better coordinated and better able to win. But unfortunately, that very same problem, that same response works against us in a democracy when we start finding that our salary is going down or we're struggling more because we start looking to authoritarian figures for solutions but then we just start giving up our democracy Mm -hmm. and next thing you know you start having right-wing groups and authoritarian groups saying yes we need to be harder and we need to fight more because we're losing all this stuff without realizing hold on a second the reason this is happening is because we're trying to find the solution in in giving each other more wealth, and that seems to be the solution, when ultimately the real solution is helping each other so we don't need as much wealth. But, yes, we can all all be prosperous at the same time. So it's like we've been hoodwinked into believing something, our solution, really isn't a solution at all, and it's just making us worse and worse. Next thing you know, politics is becoming right and left, um, and the rich people are trying to get more and more money, and the poor people are trying to say, hold on, you rich people aren't treating us very well, um, can't you just give us a bit of kindness here? And next thing you know, you've got um, both sides fighting each other, and it just becomes a, a terrible mess. To me, what I like about friendship is friendship can stand above all of the politics because, as we've mentioned even off air, there's a fundamental basic behind all of us. We all want the same stuff,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that can unite us. Okay, We don't have to let politics divide us. And my concern is if we don't let friendship become an important part of our lives, Yes, we might let left-wing groups, they might have more of an impact for a while, but while the wealth, power, and status is so strong among so many people, man, we are going to be fighting it a long time, and it's a good chance of it coming back again, as it has in the past. So while what I'm interested in is what you described at the very beginning. How can we stop this cycle? And unless we make friendship more important than making money, and we see that that's really just not working for us, Until we do that, we're going to go through the same cycle over and over and over again. And, of course, my concern is that we then do it so badly that we not only destroy our natural world, which we're doing, uh, and poisoning it, which we're doing, but also then maybe have a nuclear war. Because that's how Mm -hmm. we're going right now. We are getting so bad that we're about to fight major wars. And Mm -hmm. I would rather that not happen.
1: Yeah, That's true, though, what you were talking about. I had a conversation with a a group a week ago. uh, and one of the things we talk about, which is interesting, is that we are on the verge of World War III in a way. In many ways, the the brushfires are already there from economic uh, warfare, right? And it's sad because it is really sad because we do need uh, such a big event like that to unite people. But having said that, yeah. we are living in the 21st century and, and it will be very interesting to see how we can get all how united, get all against, united against, an against an alien invasion. And I'm talking, I'm talking about aliens from outer <laughs> space here. <laughs> <clears throat> then humanity comes together and realize that in the end, we are all wired for survival.
2: Yes. Yes. And look, I I, I have the same issue. Okay, I'm wondering mm-hmm. what is it going to take? For us to wake up to ourselves and realize what we're doing isn't working, but also to look outside the square we've been looking in. Mm -hmm. We've been trying to think that solutions are always the same thing over and over and over again. And we end up, it's like communism. Communism was going to be a solution to capitalism. And capitalism is simply about private individuals and companies making a profit. Now, I have no problem with capitalism per se. What I have a problem with is where the profit goes. Uh, Right. We could have a very, we could have a wonderful, friendly capitalism where the money is shared more. We have more cooperatives, more people who are sharing the money with wages and and having better businesses. And that's what I found when I was researching the book. There are companies that do that already. We could have that kind of stuff, lifestyle, already. And we could stop our own companies going into other countries and sort of pillaging them. In other words, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. taking all their resources for, for a pittance and not allowing the other people to develop their own businesses their own companies and their own improve their own standard of living we could do all of that and we could do that tomorrow but we're deciding not to and what it's leading to is like you say we're getting a lot of uh, pushback now and people are fighting Mm -hmm. i actually have an, an interesting question i sometimes ask and that is when was the last time we fought a war that actually was about increasing our land our water or our food supply and to be honest i can't think of one Okay? Mm-hmm. It's always been about the rich people Trying to compete with the other country's Rich people
0: mm-hmm. So we
2: just keep letting them fight And then How far are we going to let this go Before we actually say enough is enough okay? And say look this isn't working Because if we don't do something soon If we have to wait for a nuclear war Then who knows how many of us are actually going to survive And that would be horrible And of course unless you're Elon on And you've got a nice spaceship to Mars <laughs>
1: um,
2: We might be struggling
1: Right, right, that's true Why is learning from indigenous cultures important in our journey to better understand what friendship is all about?
2: Yeah, look, indigenous cultures have taught me a lot Um, And look, I grew up with a bit of a bias I was always taught that they were pretty hopeless Um, Technologically they were terrible Their belief systems were primitive And yeah, they were were not, not so great, we shouldn't be listening to them but since I've understood the balance of self-model, which is the foundations of understanding our basic human desires, I've looked at them completely differently with a massive amount of respect. Most indigenous cultures know how to satisfy our basic human desires probably better than any other culture or civilization I have known. So they certainly know how to be friends. In the original Aboriginal Australian culture, for instance... Mm-hmm. Um, They have a very strong community base. There was a study done recently here, done by one of the banks, to find out why don't they have more wealth. And as they started examining it, they realized the reason was whenever they had any money, they would share it with others. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if anybody else needed a bit of help, they'd immediately give it to other people because they're largely community-driven. So yes, they may not get rich that way, but they're happier as people in a community if they have the community spirit. Now, that's, of course, if they're being oppressed and treated poorly, then their self-worth and uh, their position and trying to to fit into our society becomes very difficult because it goes against the culture of what they've grown up with. But they are largely about um, value, respect, caring, having close friends and community. I mean, even the women were regarded as custodians of their community, so they would unite... Mm -hmm communities and the other example i like to use is actually out of the united states probably the best democracy example i've found actually was in the northern united states and that was the iroquois The iroquois nation or confederacy depending on how you want to uh, describe
0: them mm-hmm.
2: were set up probably in about the 1400s by a guy called the great peacemaker and under with the help of another one of the leaders called hiawatha they were able to create a A council of about 50 members now the fascinating thing about the council was the chair at each of the council where all of these members sat um, was owned by the women the clans of the women so in equivalent terms today what that would mean is the women only vote but they can only vote for men but what it allows Mm -hmm. is the women to do what they feel is most important for their children their families and their communities They can still have an influence over what the men do, and if at any point in time they think the men are crossing the line, like they're going to war when they shouldn't, or they're doing something that's against the will of the people and it might work against them, great. Then they pull them out of their seat. They put someone else in who's more likely to listen to their their wisdom. So to me, that forms an ideal way of living a peaceful life, and they had peaceful life for well over 150, maybe 200 years or more. So I think we can learn a lot from indigenous cultures, and we... To me, the ideal is apply our technology to what the wisdom we can learn from the indigenous cultures um, and integrate the two, because I think the two can integrate very, very well and we can live very satisfying lives. Um, But we can't do that if we start believing that we're superior and our technology makes us better than them, um, because then we sort of forget the importance of satisfying the basics of our humanity and then we don't feel so good, which is kind of what I find when people come to see me with depression.
1: Very, very interesting. Very You're very listening interesting. to Blue From My Mama's Kitchen Talk From Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's Apple. iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Tune Mixcloud, and, and Google Play. My guest My is Dr. Wintry Winfrey Sethoff. Sethoff. He is a family physician a family specializing in mental specializing health and mental is currently and working in Brisbane, Brisbane Australia. In Brisbane, Australia. Dr. Winfrey Dr. Winfrey is also the author of three books that lay foundations for better relationships, communities, and ultimately a better world. Dr. Winfrey and I are having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey, passion for helping others to discover their true potential, and his latest book, The Friendship Key. The book reveals how friendship can empower us to lasting peace, united communities, stronger relationships, equality, and a better job. I'm your host, Johnny Johnny Pan. Dr. Winfrey, you mentioned about learning from the indigenous group. One of the the things that I saw the immediate immediate tie-in is the fact that that you you talked about 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 earlier in the show about about mutual respect. 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 What What I like like about about the indigenous group is that they have respect for everything. Not only people, the environment, and everything. Correct?
2: Yes. Absolutely. And and that's one of the things that I learned from the friendship. If we Mm -hmm. respect ourselves and we respect each other, we're more likely to respect the land as well. Um, Because if we can treat each other like a friend and we treat ourselves like a friend, there's a good chance we're likely to treat the environment like a friend. We're not going to use it as a resource because at the moment, because we're so greedy in our quest for more and more, we're now treating people like they're a resource. Mm-hmm. so how can we use them? How can we use them to make more for us rather than how can we work together to live more satisfying lives? And that's kind of what we're doing to the environment as well. We're treating it simply as a resource rather than being part of us. And that's what I liked about the Indigenous cultures is they were so connected to the land, they felt the land was a part of them. And I kind of relate to that because it fits in with my history of where I came from and in my country upbringing. So I spent a lot of time connecting with nature on an emotional level and i found that very enlightening for me and it gave me a better insight into where they're coming from and that's kind of how i see it as well we are part of the land and the land is part of us and i think that's an important thing that we've missed because then we don't uh if we don't connect with that we sort of lose a sense of who we are and the basic fundamentals and we start to think we're something supernatural and separate to everything but ultimately we're not Um, but we tend to forget that and so I think indigenous cultures can teach us a lot more than we actually give them credit for if we're prepared to open our minds a little bit and then listen to our hearts a bit more.
1: So true. How should friendship dance with relationship?
2: Ah, short answer, hip to hip. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Intimately. (laughs) All right. Um, Look, if we don't have a close friendship, um, then our relationships are in big trouble. I mean, look, it's we have many other needs in a relationship, and my idea of a relationship that's satisfying is one that meets all of those needs. Because the way I see it is if we're both getting our needs met in our relationship, why would we want to leave? But it also means we'll have a satisfying, stable relationship. And to me, friendship is the core in that. So that's why I devote the extra couple of chapters in the book to try mm-hmm. and help people meet that in a way that makes each other attractive to each other and can enhance our attraction as well as our friendship and bring us closer together. And I think that's essential for us to have wonderful, satisfying, and close relationships.
1: So true. What is your concept of a united community?
2: All right. In simple terms, once again, I like my tribe. Like I Mm -hmm. said, I wasn't always big on tribes, but I am now. And to me, it's about those qualities that you mentioned before, so part of it to me is about accepting and welcoming individuality. It means it's founded on a on the premise of respect, mutual respect and tolerance, um, caring and supporting for each other no matter what, and protecting each other and knowing each other has got our back. And essentially for me, a community is really about staying together cl- and close enough and communicating together enough so that we can actually develop those components. Because I learnt while researching the book that the average American will basically move house 11 times in their lifetime. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. how are we going to develop close communities if we keep moving everywhere? Um, and then we build the houses that are so close to each other, but we never have anything that faces each other. So there's no common areas to meet. Uh, mm-hmm. And I have a, there's a great diagram in there about a guy, an architect from Malaysia, <laughs> who's developed suburbs that enhance community. So friendship can actually create an enormous amount of community that is respectful and caring um, and, and united. So we know that the people will be there when we need them. And I think that's very important and very missing right now.
1: I agree. What's interesting also, you're right, you hit in terms of let's so start with the family unit, and then it takes a community. The family unit builds a community, and then it takes the community to build the, to build the government.
2: Correct. Exactly. So the more we interact with each other as friends, the more we're gonna discuss what's happening, the more we can then vote together and have a greater influence and create the government. We keep forgetting that we are the government. Right. Okay, they don't make us feel like we are, but we are the government (laughs) and they are a reflection of us.
1: Right. And the strength of the community in the end is about coexistence.
2: Completely. In a respectful way. And that's why I like friendship. I mean to me the core is if we focus on our similarities we can build unity if we focus on our differences we become enemies it's a very simple Mm -hmm. thing and we can all choose whether we do that or not that's a personal choice with everyone we meet whether we meet them for the first time or whenever we can either focus on the similarities or we can focus on the differences and at the moment i'm seeing a lot of focusing on differences and yet at the core we're the same so we have an opportunity to unite ourselves with what we have in common we're just not using it right now
1: so true very very true In reading your book on the section about business, one of the things that I got from it was it reminded me when I was chief operating officer for my company years ago and how my relationship, perhaps in this case, you're talking about building friendship with fellow vendors. We came up with the concept of desired profit. So everybody is entitled to make a certain amount of profit. And so we're able, to stabilize, so we're able to stabilize cost the cost of what we have to pay, yes. and we then pay they know what they can and make and can that's make, how we forge the we uh, forge business, relationship, uh, business so relationship so to speak
2: very much so, which just sounds a lot like a cooperative
1: mhm-
0: mhm-, so true, yeah,
2: and so true. absolutely look um this look, I was never really big on business to be honest, but the more I looked at it, the more I realized friendship can tr- virtually transform our way of doing business and in a good right. way too of course i mean right. if we're struggling to find a find a job it can help us to get the personal skills so that people want to buy things from us so it can help us to get a better job so it's great for that so if we're struggling with that it can help the businesses because it helps create a a flatter hierarchy, something where people are more equal and they're voting more together, so the business is more adaptable. It can, In fact, there are business styles that came come from the, um, Germany, for instance, called Middlestand, mm-hmm. which I talk about, that are very successful and they aren't fully driven by just profit, profit, profit. They're after long-term customers and customer satisfaction, but they're also interested in looking after their, their, the people they're employing. They want these people to stay and have good lives. That's the main drive they're doing. It's not profit at all costs. So it makes their businesses more stable and more adaptable and world competitive. And the other thing I learned was about that economy, economics. It can change economics. If we're not driven entirely by wealth, power, and status all the time, and we're not trying to just um, increase our own property, we can create a stability here because there's lack of greed. We won't need a global financial crisis anymore. We won't need to have all that massive um, instability that's going on. We can even things out so all the economies of the world are more stable. And I know that sounds a bit idealistic, but ultimately when we're not driven to the extent of stepping over others to get what we want and we're starting to build everyone up, everyone is more likely to get a job, have a better standard of living, um, and we're all doing better off for it. But that's not how we're seeing it at the moment. So for me, friendship... Can work on so many levels in improving our life in business and including businesses ourselves, which I was very surprised about. But, yeah, I'd be interested to hear other people's feedback on that and what they think about it as well.
1: It's wonderful, though. It's I, wonderful mentioned, though. To I mentioned to a business owner about three owner weeks ago. Three weeks what ago, happens is that happens we have that two different have lens, lens that we look through. We look at our, our customers, customers through the lens from the consumer standpoint of view, correct? This are our customers. Yes. We go we'll bend over backwards to make sure they are happy, they're they're satisfied, and so forth. And then we look through a different sets of lens lens at our employees.
0: employees. And
1: all of a sudden, sudden, you know, that's what's happening right now. But I said, when you change change that lens to looking at your employees employees as your your own immediate customer, the dynamic change.
2: Doesn't it? It does, and, yes.
1: And, and that's, the key, that's the key to successful companies that have companies long-term, that have long-term employees, employees who are now who associates. Are now it doesn't matter what level, level matter of what existence level they have within that company, within but they the are, the company, are now they associates. Are now they are part of family.
2: Completely. And that's why I like the idea of a cooperative. So from a mm-hmm. meeting friendship desires needs, the one that tends to meet them best are those companies that are most democratic and the most democratic companies we have at the moment are cooperatives. Right. There are different types of cooperatives, right. but all of them, because you uh, have a, a, uh, an interest in the company, you have a vote, and everybody has an equal vote, no matter how much they own in the company. Right. So your managers can't suddenly give themselves a bonus that is 200 or more times that of the, the person <laughs> on the floor. Okay. Right. We have to balance it all out. Um, and so then everyone has to be treated with respect, because everyone is each other's employee. An employer, right. Right. which I That's find correct. very helpful. So, Yeah. So it's similar to model what you're describing. And so mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. friendship can be applied to managers because managers can learn how to deal with their staff better so they can get better results. Um, the staff can learn to get on better with each other, and I teach people how they can do that in the book. And you can get on better with your customers because we're more likely to buy from a friend certainly than we are from an enemy. So if you right. learn how to do that, you've got right. a better chance of being able to sell and have so a true. business. So
1: true. Very, true. Very true. What would you like for the readers what to gain like from to reading The friendship, friendship Key?
2: Well, look, the main parts are two things. Hope, cause I think there's a lack of hope right now, that um, there is a better way and a better future, but also more personally answers. I mean, look, a lot of people have got ideas about and solutions out there, but I think Friendship's got a slightly different approach that I think is going to be worth considering. So I would like them to consider maybe considering friendship as a way of fixing up their personal problems, but maybe also, because we're helping our personal problems, maybe also then helping the world's problems. All right. But all by just trying to do something very simple, and that is put friendship as a priority. And I think that would be a, a very useful thing.
1: Wonderful. Where can someone go to get more information about you, your books, and keep up with your latest happenings?
2: Yeah, so I have a web page. So if you just type in my name without the doctor, so Winfried Sethoff, which you alluded to earlier, dot com, and I've got a web page there. So they can keep an eye on that, or they can go to Facebook and look up the Friendship Key. Gets on there as well, and um, and find out what's going on.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. What is next for you? What is next for
2: you? Well, at the moment, I'm working on a little bit of sci-fi, which I kind of alluded to earlier. So trying to get a vision out there of what this kind of life can look like and how to apply it, so I find science fiction is very good for that so I've been writing Mm -hmm. a bit of that, but I'd love to do some more talking and sharing the ideas, and if people are interested, yes, I'd love to go and talk and maybe do some travel in the United States to share the ideas, if enough people are interested, that would be nice too
1: That's terrific
2: terrific.
1: Any last words on on the friendship key?
2: Yeah, look to me, ultimately, the friendship key is about us remembering to be human, remembering that we're social beings and that friendship is actually far more important than we give it credit for. Uh, all I'm asking is that we maybe reconsider it and see that friendship maybe be bit different to what we've been taught and that it can actually give us a level of satisfaction in life that maybe we've been missing for too long and give us a hope that we've also been missing. So I'm hoping that people might consider it um, because I think it can actually make more of a change to our world than we may be giving it credit for.
1: How has writing the book How impacted you, the you personally?
2: Impacted. Um, well, it, it certainly made me uh, look at friendship differently. Uh, doesn't <laughs> mean it certainly mean I've got more friends, <laughs>
0: um,
2: but it, it certainly made me appreciate what is there more. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, uh, I found that very helpful. Um, and yeah, being able to get on with others and share these experiences like we're sharing with you, which I found very helpful. You know, it's great to have that ability to be able to chat with someone like yourself.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. By the way, as we're coming close to the end of the shower, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning?
2: Okay. Um, Well, I'm not really good at cooking, but my recipe would be more about slowing down, listening more to the depths of our heart, because if we can start to learn to do that, um, we can find a large part of us can help satisfy and guide us. And of course, within that is the friendship. We will find a sense of wanting to be friends with others. So, in the essence, my recipe would be how to try to be human. Just learn to listen to ourselves, listen to our heart more, learn past our fears, look past our fears and our pains, learn from them, and then just learn how to be better human beings. And that to me is the recipe for life. Just be human.
1: Beautiful. Dr. Wentworth. Thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in three weeks, Tuesday morning, September twenty-fourth. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor in chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul: Think Positive, Live Happy, One Hundred and One Stories with About. Creating Your Best Life. This book is co-authored with Deborah Novel. Novel. For additional information about this show and future shows, shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Dr. Winfrey, it has been a true pleasure, sir. Thank you again and have a blessed, wonderful day.
2: Thank you. You too. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.